Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello and welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. My guest is Chris Seveny. He is a real estate investor running a couple of things. They've got a fund an evergreen fund that they are building to $150 million. And they're deploying that mostly, and most of what we talk about is in these mortgage notes where they're buying single family notes that are distressed or buying notes at a discount. And they kind of essentially become the bank. So real interesting business model. Some of you guys might've heard of that, maybe not. Um, DJE, our company does a lot of owner finance notes on this rural land stuff we've been doing for, for a few years now. But that's different. So they're buying mortgage notes um, basically directly from the lenders. And so we get into all the details on that. It's a really fascinating kind of kind of business model there and how they've scaled it out. They're buying, you know, sometimes 10, 15, 20 notes a month. He's got a team of nine. And so we kind of break out how he's built the team, the asset management, the leadership, the acquisition side. I really like to kind of get into the nitty gritty on that stuff and how people have built successful real estate teams. So it's definitely a clinic in in distressed mortgage note buying. And then of course, they've also got a fund too that like I mentioned, they're raising quite a bit of capital. And we did dive into the fund structure as well. So if you're interested in investing in funds or interested in setting up your own fund, they've got a reg A component and a reg D component. They're working with investment advisors. So lots of avenues that we kind of went down there exploring how they've set all that up. And it was really good, really good talking shop with Chris about how they've built the company, how they're deploying capital, what they're seeing in the current marketplace, all that fun stuff. I think you're going to enjoy going to enjoy the episode. We'll have a word from our sponsors and then dive right in. If you can leave us a five-star review on Apple, that helps the reach of this podcast. I really appreciate it. So let's have a word from the sponsor and we'll get into the episode with Chris. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by DJE Texas Management Group, a San Antonio, Texas-based real estate investment firm with a track record of transacting on several hundred million dollars of multifamily land and industrial deals throughout Texas. DJE's been in business for over a decade and is approaching 100 team members in San Antonio. To learn more about DJE, visit djetexas.com or the link in the show notes of this episode. This episode's also brought to you by apartmenteducators.com, a complete ecosystem for professionals to learn how to find, finance, and operate large multifamily properties for profit. You can get started with a free mini course and learn more at apartmenteducators.com or visit the link in the notes. Chris, welcome to the show. Good to have you. How are you? Good. How are you, Devin? Doing great, man. Thanks for jumping on today. Look forward to diving into, uh, you know, some some talking shop about real estate here. Um, let's kind of go big picture for somebody listening, watching that hasn't met you before. Uh, mm -hmm. How did you get into this entrepreneurial game? Oh, that's a... Great question. Uh, you know, I kind of joke, um, you know, A, my wife's part to blame, but also one of my employers. Uh, so okay. I've been in real, so reason I say that, I've been in real estate since 1997, aged myself, graduated college, started working for a commercial general contractor. Now I was project manager for people who kind of don't understand that. I'm the guy in the white shirt and tie on the construction site who looks yeah. like they don't, looks like we don't do anything. We Got actually do board, a board maybe? Yeah. 
So um, back in the day, it was a clipboard. You know, then it, then you got an iPad or you know, yeah. uh, a Palm Pilot was uh, back. That, in the yeah, day. that that was that was king for a while. What yeah. what market was that in that you were doing that? So, so it was up in Boston, up in the Northeast. So heavy yeah. union market. Oh man, yeah, uh, yeah. So learned a ton. Uh, awesome experience. Uh, learned worked for some really smart people. And, you know, the company, when I started with them, went from about $100 million up to now they're, I think, at like $6 billion. It's one of the largest contractors in the country. Wow. Um, wow. The owner, uh, smart, smart guy. He was a madman, you know, entrepreneur type. Uh, but I did that for 15 years. And then uh, he got burnt out, um, you know, yeah, working sure. six days a week. Sure. Uh, I also, during that time, moved down to uh, the D.C. area. And started, then I flipped and, you know, for people who work on general contractor, they call it moving to the dark side because I moved to the dark side by working for a real estate developer. Right. Yeah. Those, those evil yeah. capitalists. Yep. Those evil capitalists. And that's where I started getting really the entrepreneur. Uh, my prior, I'll call it my prior life. I just work so much. I didn't have time right. to do anything else. Yep. Uh, then when I started working for a developer, one of the first questions my boss asked me at the time was, you know, what do you got for real estate? What are you going to do to retire? And I'm like, oh, I got my 401k. And he just starts laughing at me. I mean, just like, are you serious? He's like, you know, you got to start owning some of your own real estate. Um, and, you know, then I started looking at it. I'm like, yeah, kind of 401k. And somebody mentioned the 40, 40, 40 rule, which is, you know, you work 40 hours a week for 40 years to get 40% of your income, which, you know, you can never retire. Yep. Uh, so uh, my real estate journey then started, my wife and I um, built our primary residence and we acted as a GC almost um, 2013. We're down in DC area. Now we're eight miles from DC. We have a one acre lot. So prime piece of real estate. And we had the contractors, um, the subs begging for work because it was still slow at the time where they're trying to make payroll um, and still pay the bills. Yeah. So we, what year was this? 2013. Gotcha. So yeah. 10 years ago. Yep. So we, um, you know, basically built it. And when we were done, uh, we had probably about 40% equity, A, because of seeing wow. it ourselves, plus the market in that time just started really to, to ramp up. We actually bought the property in 2012, lived in it for a year, designed it and did all that fun stuff. Um, so with that equity, we started buying some rentals that we could rehab uh, in the Washington DC area. Uh, unfortunately, just like most major markets, we were both working W-2s, way too competitive. Yeah. Uh, so after two deals, we had two kids at the time as well, which we still do. Uh, we, My wife said, we just can't do this anymore. Mm. So I stumbled upon uh, mortgage note investing, which is what I do now. Uh, most people don't even know this exists. People hear about private lending or you know seller finance. Yep. But mortgage note investing is when you're buying those loans on the secondary market that you're really not originating. You're buying them, you know, five, 10 years down the road. And we focus a lot on the distress side, sure. uh, the market. So started getting in that in 2016, bought my first loan in 2017 and, you know, grew that, started doing some small syndications with that and left my job last year to, uh, we're raising $150 million now, uh, you know, go big or go home. Some would say to, yeah. um, you know, raising money and a mortgage note fund. Man, that's awesome. There's so much I want to dive into there. So you're doing a fund like an evergreen fund with $150 million cap, or what are you guys doing on the fund side? Yep. So it's an evergreen fund and we have two conduits to get into the fund, which yep. is also very unusual. 
We did a Regulation A offering, mm-hmm. which most people may not be familiar with. Most people hear the Reg D. On the yeah. Regulation A, you get uh, you get qualified by the SEC, so you have to go through a lot of hoops, and it's much more expensive than a Reg D. It's probably 10x the cost. And you're talking uh, for the sponsor. For the sponsor, yes. Yeah. Um, so we, and some time, we, too, right? I mean, how long does it take to get the Reg A done? Um, so we... It's not as slow as people think. It takes about three months to get qualified by the SEC. And okay. it took us, um, give you an idea, we started planning it in November. We got qualified in July. So, okay. um, you know, so it does take longer. Uh, sure. But the benefit of that is you can raise money from anybody over the age of 18, accredited, non-accredited, uh, you know. Relationship, no relationship. No relationship. Yeah. So that's the benefit. Uh, yeah. And when... On a mortgage note fund, for example, we don't take on debt. So we don't have leverage because we are the bank. So if you're doing a multifamily deal, Devin, and you're saying, hey, you know, we're going to, you know, get 65% leverage on this deal and five year exit at a 15, 18% IRR. Now, we can't compete on that level because, um, you know, we're not taking on debt. So we look at it. It's a different risk profile, too, right? Exactly. It's a different risk profile. Um, But in the same token, you know, a lot of the accredited real estate investors, they're chasing that yield. Um, yeah. So some, you know, want that stability of lower risk, but also there's a lot of other people, um, The nor- I'll call it the normal Americans, um, you know, yeah. who are just working in nine to five. When you tell them like 17%, a lot of them are like, there's no way you could get that on a, on a, yep. on a real estate deal. So, you know, we offer eight to 11% um, returns. And yep. some people at that point in time still say, you're out to lunch. There's no way you can meet that. Um, then so interesting because it's so interesting. Yeah. 10% return on real estate to me, especially within like a no debt position that that is fantastic. Right. But totally achievable too. It's um, absolutely achievable. And, you know, but you have some people who will laugh at it says, I don't get out of bed for X amount. And then you have some people say, there's no way you could provide that type of return. Right. Um, right. You know, so, so fascinating. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is, you know, of of the investable population, you know the the population that has maybe some capital to invest, and you and I might go on podcasts talk about this stuff all day, do it every day. We're still addressing like the tiniest fraction of kind of the addressable investor market, yeah. right? We're still mm-hmm. dealing with this alternative asset class where mm-hmm. you might have to explain a ten percent return to somebody. That's crazy, but that's the reality of it. Yeah, and for us, we also have to explain. Not only the return, but what it is we do, because right. most people think, oh, you're buying the property. We're like, no, we're not. We're yeah, just, I'm just going to use Wells Fargo as an example. You pay Wells Fargo every month. Instead of paying Wells Fargo, you're just paying, you know, 7E. You know, it's, yeah. we're just yeah. stepping in on that lender uh, profile. So by doing that Reg A, it did allow us a much more greater audience um, where sure. you can raise 75 million a year. We also do have a Reg D component as well that has some okay. different terms. Yeah. Um, and 506C? Uh, 506C. And, you know, we also broke it up because we also been working with broker dealer, RAs and investment advisors, and they typically have all their clients are accredited. And for, um, you know, purposes of, you know, them, less risk for them, you know, they'll have their accredited investors invest in the Reg D for, you know, due diligence and other purposes that they don't right. want to take a non-accredited investor and then reference something and God forbid right. it ever goes bad, then they're, you know, they might get a complaint against them or whatever that might be. So, so the broker dealers feel a, a different level of comfort with a, a 506C Reg D offer, a Reg C offering? 
it, it depends. Some yeah. like the reg A and yeah. some like the reg D. It's really weird. Um, yeah. you know, and it's kind of, you know, it's also that divide of I'll say old school versus new school. Um, interesting. Okay. You know, so who the younger guys prefer which? Reg A. Yeah. Yeah. It's newer, right? It's it's yep. a newer, it's a newer uh legislation. It's a newer, yep. yeah, that's newer product. And it's still, you know, understanding the laws and regulations behind it and the risk, you know, and the risk profile. Yeah. What's been your experience? We we've always done, I've been raising capital for about a decade, always done. 506C, 506B, yep. um, direct kind of to investor, have mm -hmm. not done any, you know, really big family office, big check mm -hmm. writers, have not done any kind of equity partners, have not done any broker dealer stuff. What's been your experience working with those guys? It kind of a net positive? I mean, there's trade-offs, I'm sure, but how's that been for your for your team? Yeah, we literally just started. Well, okay. we started the process in January. Okay, cool. Uh, but it's not like you can just flip a switch and they start. Now, there's a long vetting process that they have to yeah. do. Yep. Uh, it's a lot more in depth. And for example, uh, the due diligence side, they will tell you, you got to go get a third party company to do a report on you. So mm -hmm. there's three companies um, uh, Buttonwood, Factright, and the other one's like Mick something. These companies, which you'll pay, you as a sponsor, pay for this report, yep. um, which is called $25,000. So it isn't cheap. No kidding. For like, they, a, this is yeah. intense. The credit and oh, criminal and. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is like, literally, they send you like a 20 page questionnaire wow. of everything from, you know, criminal, all the background checks on you, the company. Do you have a succession plan? Do you have audited nice. financials? How yep. much of your portfolio is bought from, you know, some of your other portfolios? Uh, what's your investor profile? What's your risk profile? Are you all in one asset? Are you diversified? Yeah. Um, what they will ask you to, they will take a look at your pro forma and they will pick it apart. Like, why did you assume, you know, let's just say you were doing a rental property. Um, why did you assume uh, absorption of X amount of units per month? Why did you assume you could get a hundred, an extra hundred dollars per month? Um, you know, us on the notes, it's, um, you know, how did you assume how quickly you can get the money out the door? How did you assume your return profiles on performing versus non-performing? Uh, it took about, started in March and we got to report in June give you an idea of, and they have three basically people almost working full time and they're just firing questions back at you. Yeah. And the reason they do this is, Hey, it's good for as a sponsor to understand what they look for. Right. But essentially, you know what a PPM looks like in a subscription agreement, everything else. Yeah. Monstrous. These, yeah. These people, they don't want to, and think of a family office, you know, how many PPMs do you think they get thrown on your desk every day? A hundred thousand. Yeah. Yeah. So they they need somebody. They want somebody to do the first scrub. Yeah. And like if some. And if somebody's going to spend twenty five thousand bucks to get a scrub, they're like, okay, this person at least did it, and they'll put a report that has recommendations. Um, but actually, not recommendations. It has basically pros and cons of the offering. You know, they don't tell you whether or not you should invest. They said, here are the risks involved. Here are some of the pros that are involved with it. So at least it's kind of like your Reader's Digest summary of the offering that they can at least do that first round of check before they start diving deeper and want to get meetings with you. Um, yeah. So it's much like dating uh, the process. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of investors, they may 
you know, they pull the trigger pretty quickly. You know, you might talk to an investor, they'll look into invest. When you're dealing with that RIA investment advisor type group, they'll, you know, it will take three to six months of the dating before they get, you know, behind you and basically like, okay, I'll start seeing if some of my people who work with me are considering investing. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It's just a totally different model. I appreciate you breaking that down. That's obviously a, a different track, but um, you know, there's unlimited amount of capital out there for these deals. Just kind of figuring yep. out how you're going to go connect the dots. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we started kind of big picture on the fund, and I appreciate you breaking down the Reg A and how you guys are approaching the Reg D and the, the investment advisors and working with them. Let's mm-hmm. get down a little more tactical to, to mortgage note investing. We do... Yeah. We hold a ton of uh, of land owner finance notes. I've, I like that model. You know, we we originate them and we hold them for forever. Um, so we've got some experience there. But buying buying a seasoned note on a secondary market, that's cool. That's interesting. I'd, I'd love to learn more about that. And then I also want to kind of understand what your triggers are. You said distress, right? So is there mm-hmm. some kind of a trigger on a on a late payment or default. I just want to dive in on that. I just haven't really explored that world at all. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that works. Yeah. So when people think of distress, this is always what blows people's minds. Like, you know, if somebody's driving right now, they just, you know, kind of like get shooken back when most people think you miss one payment and it's like, oh my God, they're going to come banging on my door and, you know, foreclosing my house. Yep. You know, we deal with the loans that we see Average delinquency, I'd say is about five years. Oh, you got some that are 10, some that are two. Fully delinquent for five oh, years? Yeah. So got, what kind of assets right are these? Now, single family residential. No Most kidding. are single family residential. Um, we've got Holy one right now that is, they haven't made a payment in 11 years. Uh, and <laughs> what happens a lot of times is, you know, the funds that hold them, you know, basically they have so many loans Right. A lot of times they just stick them in a drawer and literally don't do anything or they're like, we're not going to spend any more money on this or whatever the case may be, or we're going to put it out for sale. And the moment somebody puts it out for sale, um, they just stop doing everything on it. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. It's a lost cause at that it's point. It's a lost right. cause. So I, I always start with that because that usually people like, how can people go years without paying their mortgage? And right. they, they can, um, they Incredible. just, you know, it's, blows people's minds. Now, next question is, well, why would you buy something like that? Uh, Of course. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's because we can buy it at a significant discount. You know, think of, we always like to use the equivalent of, you know, buying a property that is dilapidated and needs a lot of work. You know, you're not paying market rate for that property. You're going to buy the property, try and rehab it, fix it up and resell it. But a mortgage note is very similar. The only difference is, you're not rehabbing the property, you're rehabbing the borrower. And what we mean by that is we're trying to get them on a new payment plan. We're trying to get them to come to the table um, because you also buy it at a steep discount. You have more flexibility and able to work some of the numbers. So let me ask you a question real quick on, let's say you've got a note uh, that was originated $100,000 on a single family home, just easy numbers. Uh, If it's five, 10 years old, these are amortizing, right? So maybe it's yep. paid down. Maybe it's seventy-five k, just easy yep. numbers. So mm-hmm. if the if the outstanding mortgage balance is seventy-five thousand, what is a substantial discount? Is it eighty percent? Is it half? Is it less? Is it a huge range? What where are you yeah. looking for there? It's a range by the state, uh, and let's just okay. 
to keep it even simpler, um, let's say the ba current balance is, let's say start at 125, today it's 100,000. Sure. We would pay anywhere from 30 to $70,000 for that note. Okay, yeah, it's a big so range. Yeah. 30 to, and it really depends on the state. Is that uh, right? What are they, what is the state dictating there? Foreclosure timelines. Okay. So certain, you know, there's two types of states, judicial, which means you have to go through the court system, which means okay. time or non-judicial, which means you just file in the newspaper and uh, basically you can redeem your rights. For example, New York, you know, or Hawaii, it could take five years to foreclose in those states. Absolutely you, incredible. You, By law, every house in the state. Yep. Five years. Now, some people do the, what they'll do is they'll go through the federal court, which can get it done in like 18 months. Um, right. But, you know, there's other ramifications. I'm then sure. you go to other states like Georgia, Texas, uh, those states, three to four months. Yep. Sounds about uh, right. And yep. Most states are around a year. So, you know, big, you know, up the East Coast, Florida, Carolinas, Maryland, Virginia's a little quicker, you know, mid, mid central part of the country. Usually it's about a year is what typically it will take to foreclose on a property. Right. Right. That's interesting. And that's a mix of judicial and non-judicial states. And you're kind yeah. of, yeah, it's about a year. Yep. You guys are looking at, at a, a note for sale by the time mm -hmm. the fund or bank or whatever puts it up for sale, they're, they're kind of done with it. And then what is your kind of criteria to say, yeah, mm -hmm. that's something we're going to take a risk on and, and, and bite off on. Is there a ton of due diligence or the kind of some easy check boxes that you guys can look at to say, yeah, that's something we'd pursue. Cause you're doing, I mean, what's an average note purchase here? Is it a hundred grand? Is it 500 grand? And if you're looking to deploy 150 million, that's a lot of volume, yeah. right? Yeah, it is. So right now, our average property, so average, average note is a little over a hundred thousand today. Right. Yep. Um, you know, the, in the property value behind it's roughly about 300,000. So you can see yeah. kind of when you talk about risk, we've got plenty of equity in today's values in these properties. Cause you got a, uh, you had a first lien mortgage that you either you're taking ownership of on an asset that is, you know, man, I mean, it's, it's 40% loan to value. You know, and again, we like buying loans that are like ten years old because what was the value of a house ten years ago compared yep. to today? No doubt, loans yeah. that people just bought or bought last year or the year before. Probably we're not a big fan yeah. of because they bought it. You know, there's not equity in a lot of those deals. Yeah. Um. You know, typically we our buy box is property values over a hundred thousand dollars. Um. You know, yeah. we like to. I mean, we've invested in forty states. We typically won't buy in New York. Very rare, unless it's part of a large pool. Sure. Um, that will buy in. And uh, you know, we look at kind of three things. We look at the property, the property value. We look at kind of the predicament. What caused them? Usually, it's death, right. divorce, or job loss. Yeah. You know, sometimes people just stop paying. It's rare, but it happens. Well, once and, they hear this podcast, they know they can not pay for 10 years. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Uh, but we also look at, for example, if somebody's filed bankruptcy five times, we're not buying that note. Yeah, they right. know that, you know, somebody knows how to game the system. The pros. But, yeah. But we look at, again, like Georgia or Texas. If the person hasn't paid in seven years in Georgia or Texas, that a red light goes off in our heads. They've been able to game the system somehow because that probably yep. should have been foreclosed upon by now. Interesting. Now, same property in Florida, and it was two years old. Okay, it just takes longer in Florida, and they maybe contested the foreclosure, and that happens a lot. Um, but you know, those are some of the initial red flags. Yeah, gotcha. So, 
Okay. So the, <clears throat> the funds, you know, getting to a hundred kind of evergreen, getting to 150 million. What does, um, what does the team look like and what does the kind of the trend probably pretty heavy on the transaction side, right? Is there kind of like an acquisitions manager running through this or mm-hmm. how, give me the idea of what kind of volume, you know, you need to kind of do to make it work for you guys on the, yeah. I guess the purchase side, right? Yeah. So, well, we have a team of nine okay. uh, overall Yep. now, and, but we have also outsource a lot of components. For example, we don't speak to borrowers. We use a licensed servicing company, yep. you know, that, and I know you hold some loans. I don't know if you collect the payments or not use at all third, third party and yep. they pay for it. Yeah. So similar where on us, we have to pay for it um, on single family. Sure. You can't make the borrow, but you know, we have companies who do all that tax reporting for the borrowers, you know, 1098s and stuff. Um, so we use that servicer, but we have um, myself and another person lead up acquisitions. Yep. Um, and right now we're buying about two to 3 million a month, um, you know, is what we're cool. buying in loans. Okay. Uh, so that, that might be 20 plus notes in a month. Yeah, it's 10 right. to 20. Um, so yep. as the fund has grown, the average price has grown. When we started out and we were raising, you know, a few million dollars, we were buying lower dollar assets, um, yep. you know, or lower balance assets, not dollar. And then as we've grown, um, you know, we've been able to increase the size as well. Um, so it's two of us on the acquisitions, and then we have two people kind of on the asset management side of things, right? Uh, also, who basically manage the assets um, through that period of time, and they're the ones managing the servicers, managing the attorneys, uh, and software is critical. Um, no doubt, having good software that can track all this for you to let you know when you got to do all your follow-ups um, saves significant, um, you know, significant amount of people. And we have an accountant and we have, you know, three people, um, well, three people on investor relations and marketing, um, you know, for raising the fun side of things. So, yeah. you know, it's interesting that some companies like ours, they outsource a lot of that asset management. For us, we go by the philosophy of nobody manages their money or their assets better than themselves. So we like to keep it all in-house. Yeah. It seems like for what you're doing, that that's kind of the that's kind of the real work, right? I mean, you, you've got some process on the acquisition side, identifying it, but then doing the workouts, I imagine is pretty in, involved, right? If you're trying to restructure payments yep. or um, is that, that seems kind of like the bulk of the work from, from what I'm it, hearing. It is. And you know, the reality, you know, it's interesting though, because again, we have pro forma calculators that, okay, we bought this loan at $50,000. They owe a hundred, their payment was um, 900 bucks a month. You know, can we do $700 a month or, you know, we just plug it into our calculator and yeah, does, sure. and it spits out, you know, green means go if it exceed, if it meets a specific, you know, IRR we're targeting yep. and yeah, we can make that number work and we'll provide, you know, typically we like to be at the forefront of providing the options to the borrower mm-hmm. of, you know, Hey, here's what it is, but we also get a lot of information from them. You know, we get, we, they call it a shock package, which is just like applying for a loan, you know, give me your tax return, give me your pay stubs and kind of we'll pull credit on you and we'll work with you to try and see what you can afford. Now they think we're adversarial um, because it's a conflict oriented business and we're trying to screw them where really we're not. We're actually trying to help them because if I wanted their property, I would be out there buying real estate. I'm buying the notes because, you know, and I had a conversation, a borrower actually called me, got my number and they're in Wisconsin. And, you know, I was joking with him. I said, Hey, look, I'm in Virginia. Do you really think I want a property up in Wisconsin at this point in time? I'm like, yeah, no, I a big company. You, yeah, yeah, I just want you to pay your mortgage. You know, I don't need a hundred and twenty-five thousand dollar house in Wisconsin. 
that what am I going to do with, you know, I want yeah. you to keep your house, grow some equity in it. And then basically, you know, at some point in time, sell it and, you know, keep that money. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So yeah, I wanted to ask about that. Let's say you get a house that's, that's market value 300. Maybe you've got some repairs and exit costs that put it, puts it at 250, just give you a wide margin. And you've got a note for a hundred that you, yep. you, you know, you're, you're, you're on your balance sheet, you're in it for a hundred buck, a hundred K. So you get, you know, potentially 150 K there, you know, of equity that you could capture in that first lien by forcing a foreclosure. But even then, um, you're still saying like, Hey, you know, it's different market rehabs, repairs, exit headache, just not worth it pretty much all the time. Yeah. Well, last three years, you know, and here's one of the things uh, people that we have to educate people on, you know, a foreclosure is really a sale of the property. So yep. it gets sold. And if the property sells at auction for two fifty, you know, we're owed one fifty. we just get the one fifty. and any junior lien holders or the homes or the homeowner, yeah gets that extra money. Yeah. And that's where we've seen a lot of assets, but we've had assets in the past that, you know, we bid, you know, we're owed a hundred, we bid a hundred at auction, nobody bid on it. And then all of a sudden we get an agent, you know, we finally can get inside that property and mm -hmm. we may have to evict the person. And then we right. get in there and they're like, Oh, you can sell this for 160, 170. And we're like, great. Thank you. You know? Yeah. So there are times we can recapture it, but that's not something, you know, as part of our pro forma that we anticipate. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. So are you guys solely focused now on this asset class? Sounds like the team is pretty, pretty much purpose built on executing here, right? With this yeah, one. And, you know, we do, you know, we left the fund, um, you know, some wiggle room that we can invest in, you know, some single families or some small multifamilies or other types of asset class. Yep. And really reason why is, you know, if the market dries up completely and we have this money, you know, we need to put it to use. Yes. Now we're very cognizant of, you know, being strategic in that, you know, I have a background in, you know, from my past life in development, single family, multifamily, I have yep. that background, but, you know, I'm not going to all of a sudden turn and go to oil and gas as an example. Um, right. You know, I see some people, you know, sometimes with their funds, when one thing dries up, they're chasing the next big thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've seen it. And, sure. You know, so for us, we're, you know, strictly, we want to be the best at what we do. So that's why our primary focus is on that first position mortgage notes. Yeah, it makes sense. But you do have to, we just launched a fund, oh, I guess late last year. Um, but I resisted it for years and years and years because it's like, hey, I don't, you know, I don't want to have 10 or $20 million of capital accruing a distribution yeah. or, or, mm -hmm you know, where I can't deploy it. Finally, we're at the scale where I feel comfortable in deploying mm -hmm. it. So we did it yep. and it's great, but it, that's a huge concern as a, as a fund operator is like, mm -hmm. we've got to be able to deploy this thing. What, so yeah, you've got to be able to have some kind of other avenues that, you know, yep. the market changes a couple questions about, you know, current market, but I do want to dive in a little bit more on the fund. What does somebody brings a hundred K and says, Hey, Chris, want to mm -hmm. deploy 100K in your fund? What what does that person expect? Is it is it accruing day one? Is it a you know what's the, what's the process? What's the lockup and and all that kind of stuff? Yep. So uh, in the reggae, it's a four year lockup. Yep. Uh, within the fund, and it starts accruing on the first day of the following month. So today nice. we're in July. So on August first, it would start accruing. September first, you would get um, your distribution uh, for that month. Um, so oh, cool. So it's like, yeah, you invest on the 15th and 
next month you're you're getting a payout. Yeah. Cool. So you get your payout. Um, and depending on the investment, it's anywhere from it's a fix between eight and eleven. And the higher the investment, the higher the rate you get. We give what's called bonus shares. So we're selling actually shares of a company that mm -hmm. you're buying. It's ten dollars a share, so a hundred thousand. You're getting ten thousand shares. Mm -hmm. But as part of that, um, you know, you get specific bonus shares with that, which I honestly, off the top of my head, can't recall what it is on the bonus share side, but you know, it enhances the return. So at the end of four years, uh, basically when you cash out the, your shares, you get that, you know, over a hundred thousand plus those other bonus shares. Now you get the money from those as well. And those during that time are also accruing that distribution. So tried to keep it very simple. Yes. Um, we don't, you know, we don't have a drip, um, which is direct reinvestment, uh, because then you start getting in the partial shares. And oh, honestly, the SEC isn't a big fan of it. Um, you know, it, people have asked about that in our fund and, and our stuff. And it's like the accounting requirement there, uh, kind of from an operator side, like that's awesome. just a non-starter. Yep. And I, I wasn't aware the SEC is not. A, why is the SEC frown on it? Um, you know, it's more because the SEC wants essentially everybody to be on level playing fields. So mm -hmm. like we tried to only give bonus shares to like the first 10 or $20 million of investments. They're like, Nope, can't do that. Um, so it was, and some people do do it, but like you said, the accounting side of it as well is a nightmare um, yeah. in regards to, who's in, who's out, what percent, you know, and especially if there's any type of equity ownership, you know, oh, yeah. equity percentages. And then, so it can get, I mean, you'll have your accountants probably wanting to pull their hair out. So for us, it's more. We'll we should, hire four more people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And keep it simple. You know, basically what we've always found, and I did a drip once in one of my old 506Cs yeah. and my CPA wanted to, A, you know, kill me um, because, you know, <laughs> and again, we used, an account, you know, the bookkeeper and the software we use could calculate all of it. Right. Just, it's extremely challenging. Um, so many moving pieces. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, what would, what's the minimum investment in the fund? You guys doing 50K, 100K? Five. Oh my word. Could you imagine doing reinvestments on five grand? Across well, a thousand well, investor that, positions. So our initial <laughs> investment when we started our reg A. Uh-huh. Was $500. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Chris, I think I lost your audio there. It might be on my side. Just want to double check. Oh, am I there back? Got okay. you back. Yep. So, uh, your, so the, the initial reg was 500 bucks. It was 500 Which, bucks. Yeah. Was your investor relations uh, team pulling their, poking their eyes out at that point? I mean, that's. Yes. Um, yeah. So what we, the funny thing was people would ask like, well, $500, what's my return look like? And it's like, six bucks a month. They're like, well, that's nothing. And it's like, well, because you're only investing $500, you know, <laughs> well, it was like $4, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but where it helped though was, and this is what we in, got to now five grand, where it's nice is on these evergreen funds is without having that 100,000 or 50,000 min, people will basically, okay, I can risk $5,000 to see how things go. Right. And if things go right. well, next thing you know, we've had investors start with five and then cut us a check for two fifty. Yep. You know, and just they want to see who you are, how you operate. So yep. that low barrier to entry gives people a little more confidence of, you know, and if I was invest with you, Devin, at fifty grand, I'd be like, I'm confident, but also I'm nervous. Um sure. Sure. whereas it's if you said, money. Hey, I can get in with five grand and, and add more later. 
Yeah. It adds a lot more comfort. Yeah. It's interesting. And I think um, there's this inverse relationship a lot of times, not as a rule, but between kind of the investment amount and the client quality, you know, you've mm -hmm. got uh, the $5,000 investor is might be really, really concerned about it. And a hundred thousand or $250,000 investor might write the check and, and forget about it. And um, because they're just, they're just different classes of investor, but I think there's really something to be said. And we kind of structured our firm the same way. It's like um, this network effect of, if you can have investors in show them a good experience. Yeah. It might be that I mean, we have a $50,000 minimum, so we don't have a, a super low barrier to entry, but as these things go, it's relatively low. And we've kept it there because Sure. You know, test it out for, for the lower amount, see mm -hmm. how it goes, do, you know, do a year in a project and then, um, and then do more if you're, if you're comfortable with it, but that network effect of being able to say, you know, like we, we really don't do any marketing outside of podcasts and some social media stuff, but mm -hmm. you get those people in, show them a great experience. And then it kind of grows organically for there. So I would imagine having a lower barrier to entry, although that entails, I'm sure a lot of extra work for your team you're you're connecting with so many more folks now that um, potentially have the wherewithal to refer people to grow their own investments with you, and that that's huge. That's where it's helped. Uh, two two parts you hit the nail on the head there. One is you know people growing and referring to others, and then people yep. being also you know okay I have an IRA that's only got seven thousand bucks in it, or I have an HSA, or I have this you know, whatever it is, you know, other types of accounts that they yep. can invest in that they don't might not have the 50 or that minimum that they can. So we see, um, you know, a lot of people like that um, also invest as well. Yeah. Yeah. makes sense. Um, well, I want to ask you about current market conditions. We're talking yep. in um, second half of 2023 right now. We're, mm -hmm. you know, on the heels of 10 consecutive rate hikes. We're seeing all sorts of impacts out there in uh in the economy and especially in real estate with rates and the sevens mm -hmm. and eights and things like that what is that uh how's that impacting you guys and obviously you're you're looking at loans that originated sometimes years ago but what's what's going on with current market climate what's that what's that doing to you guys what are you seeing out there yeah so first the interesting thing is our business gets better when the economy gets worse because there's more default typically yep. more um, distress so more distress Interest rates don't have as much as an impact on us because we're not originate loans. And then, oh, you know, we'll call it Silicon Valley Bank. Oh, I have this loan at 4%. And all of a sudden, mm -hmm. you know, markets at seven. We're buying at a discount to hit a, a certain yield in double digits. So, yep. uh, but what we're seeing in the market is, you know, um, definitely a, um, a lot of tightening on the lending side of things. And we're usually, you know, at the forefront, we see a lot of um, what's going on before, you know, you know, I'd say if you're investing in multifamily, you know, we're seeing the defaults, you know, come away or the amount of loans for sale. And that's something we've seen a ton of lately uh, for the first quarter of the year. Um, give people an idea. We probably were seeing um, about $100 million a month in loans come across our desk. Uh, the second quarter, we were seeing about four to 500 million, but mm -hmm. we saw a significant uptick in the number of loans for sale. Right. And that's performing and non-performing. Uh, but a lot of them are loans that, uh, were 
let's use the term scratch and dent, where they try and um, sell them to Fannie or Freddie and they're not qualifying. And all of a sudden mm -hmm. these companies are stuck with them. Right. And last year, those types of loans were selling at, you know, 90 something cents on the dollar. Now they're down in the seventies and eighties. Uh, right. So, um, you know, we're starting to see things um, sell. So what we see, and I am a more of a gloom and doom type of person just to be yeah. uh, upfront. Sure. I see things getting worse before they get better. Yeah. I think, you know, real estate is a slow play where things take a while to happen. Um, but I think the amount of credit card debt, people were taking out home equity lines of credit to pay off their credit cards and they max those out. We're seeing a lot of those now on the market for sale. Uh, you know, the interest rates. And then I think on the investment side of things, it was so easy and people were just buying rental property or Airbnb properties and basing everything off of 2021 numbers or whatever the case right. may be. Yep. Uh, you know, so we're, I'm, you know, and the people who don't have to move, of course are not moving. I have a 3% rate on my house. I love my house anyways, but even if I didn't, I would never go anywhere because yep. of that uptick. So the only properties I think we're going to see um, on the market are probably ones that, you know, may be in distress um, until, you know, it kind of, tilts a little bit more to people forced to sell, but, you know, and everybody knows what's going on in commercial multifamily and that does have an impact on residential. Yep. Um, so, you know, I'm not predicting like, you know, the world is going to end. I'm not predicting a 2008, but people who are continuing to bank on 5% rent increases and 5% appreciation, I would not be doing that. I would either anticipate being at flat or, um, coming back down to earth and depending on your market. I know certain markets, you know, erupted where I, I was in a group, I, somebody had a $400,000 house that's now worth 900,000. And it's in a market that I just don't see it being sustainable. It's a beautiful area, but there's not enough jobs or, you know, employment to be in that area. Um, you know, those areas, just like 2008, certain areas that ramped up were a lot got crushed in those major metropolitan areas. They grew, but they didn't grow at, you know, absurd rates where when they did take the hit, they didn't take as big a fall. You know, the bigger yep. you, the, bigger, the more you rise, the harder the fall. I mean, that's the way I, yeah, I remember it. in 08, there was a, I was talking to a guy at a conference, this is years ago, but he, he you know, his house is a $100,000 house, I think in Las Vegas and, you know, got mm -hmm. up to 500,000. And then after the crash, like back under a hundred thousand, it's like, that's just wild, <laughs> these wild swings. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I appreciate your feedback and it does take a while for these things to kind of work through the system. Mm -hmm. um, it's just such an, un, I don't say unprecedented, but it's been a while since we had that kind of a, a hike over such a short period. And, you know, as we're talking now, inflation numbers seem, seem to be getting to where they, they like them. Um, mm -hmm. If you, if you believe the numbers, but anyway, always love to talk to different operators that are, that are doing different things, especially you guys kind of all around the country. So appreciate that, that feedback. Well, let's kind of, you know, looking ahead. Um, what do you, what do you see for the rest of the year for the team and, and what, you know, what you guys kind of want to accomplish for the second half of 2023 here? Yeah, for us, um, you know, just continue to grow the company, uh, yeah. you know, and, you know, we are very focused on, you know, what our plan is, what our mission is. We follow, you know, people heard of EOS and those types of systems. Sure. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask if you're part of any, you know, mentorship groups or uh, subscribe to anything. EOS is a great, great system that a lot of people might know about. Yeah. So EOS is kind of what we subscribe to, which, yeah. you know, the big focus for us on EOS is, you know, I'll use the term the accountability chart and your vision, your vision. Yeah. Uh, so basically 
creating the roadmap so everybody is on the same page where the company wants to go. And I yep. worked for two companies that were identical. One had a vision and one didn't. And the company culture was completely different from one to the other. So fascinating. Uh, yep. So everybody had buy-in on the one that had the vision and the one that didn't. You have an annual review and they'd say, what's your goals? I'm like, well, I have no idea. What do you want me to do? Because the company doesn't have goals. Um, yeah. And it was more a lot more infighting of department to verse department. Whereas when there's a vivid vision, everyone works together. Uh, but on the accountability side, what we noticed was, especially as a start, uh, call, call ourselves a startup because we've been doing note funds for years, but this is kind of, you know, the, the in the past we had a lot less people where we have nine now. Um, you know, we'd have so many people dipping their hands in, you know, different roles mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, who's responsible for that? And then when you put one person in charge of, okay, this is what you're accountable for. And just because I'm the CEO, I may assist you on something you're accountable, but I'm reporting to you on that task. And some people find that mind blowing. Um, for example, we have acquisitions, um, woman who runs our acquisitions team. Yep. I help and I make the final decision, but getting to that point, um, you know, she does a lot of the due diligence on those assets and puts sure. together a sheet for me and gives it to me. So that's what we found to be the most um, impactful. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, thanks for sharing that. Appreciate it. Uh, well, Chris, awesome to meet you. Awesome to learn about your business. Really cool model. That's, that's different from, from what I've done. So I appreciate getting to learn about that and share with the audience. If somebody wants to connect with you and the team, how can they do that? Yeah. Uh, email. You can email me at chris at 7einvestments.com. And that's the number seven, the letter e investments.com or on our website, which is 7einvestments.com. Awesome. We'll link to that in the show notes. If you're listening, you can scroll through and click right through and connect with, with Chris and team. Um, hey man, it was awesome to, to learn from you and get to meet you. I wish you guys continued success. And uh, thanks so much for joining today. Really appreciate it, Chris. Well, thanks for having me, Devin. All right. We'll see you. Take care. Take care. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.